great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Happy Tuesday night. We're a day earlier here on Shout a Buffalo Bills football podcast. He is Ryan Talbot. He is Michael F. Florio joining us tonight on the show. I am Matt Perino. Um, Mike, I, I put it out a, a few minutes ago on Twitter that you were joining us, and we got a bunch of, uh, I hate Mike Florio. <laughs> I don't think that they're talking about the same Mike Florio. Do you get this all the time? Is this a constant battle that you face? Yeah, it happens a lot. It has happened less uh, lately, but there was like one incident. Uh, the season was coming to an end or something like that. I don't remember what the tweet was about, but someone tweeted me. Oh, it was, I- I've been very vocal defending Tua all year last year. And someone mm-hmm. was like, well, tell this to your father. And I was like, well, <laughs> he is not my dad. And that tweet blew. People were like, oh, my God. I like I thought for sure he was your dad. This is the biggest revelation of the football season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no relation whatsoever. That is awesome. That is awesome. And Ryan, you go you go back with Michael. You used to do uh, a podcast with him years ago. Yeah, I, we were just talking pre-show, at least the Tyrod Taylor days. I, I feel like it might have gone back even further than that, but uh, good to be talking Bills with him tonight with uh, obviously a franchise QB here in Buffalo. Much better days here than uh, some of those other teams that we've talked about over the years. For those tuning in, uh, Michael grew up in New York City, uh, rooting for the Bills, actually. Um, he joked before uh, we started that uh, his dad told him that he had to root for the one true New York uh, football team, uh, which we'll get into a, a little bit later in the show. Um, really, what I wanted to bring you on for, I, I really enjoyed a Twitter thread that you put out right after the season. I thought it was thought-provoking. I thought it was you know, as detailed a threat as you were going to get on the bills. I mean, it went viral. I went, I, I looked at the top tweet today going back and, uh, and, and over the last couple of days, and I think it had 1 million, uh, views or engagements, however, however Twitter does that thing. So a lot of people's eyes found it. And I think, um, it was a great conversation starter to the off season, but I also wanted to bring you on to see now three months later, how maybe some of the, Things that you pointed out after that Cincinnati Bengals game, how things were addressed by the Bills this offseason. We're going to get into all of that in a moment. Um, Let me ask you this before we get too far into it. Were you surprised at how much um, interaction that that thread got when you put it out? Yeah, yeah. This this thread has uh, – it's easily the most viewed tweet that I have ever tweeted. Um, And I'm someone who's quite active on Twitter, so that says a lot. But – this started out as like it was going to be just like one tweet like it was literally the day after the playoff loss like I was upset like any other Bills fan I, I just was running through it in my head over and over again and I was like I need to get these thoughts out some way somehow so I was like let me just go to Twitter and what was supposed to be like a tweet maybe a couple of tweets became like By the time I realized it was like over, I think it was like 10 tweets, maybe a little bit more. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put this out there. And I did it. And then I like went to the gym because 
I was like, I need to get this frustration out and uh, came back and I was like, wow, this was blowing up. And then for like a week and I, I apparently was popular in Buffalo because a lot of the fans uh, kind of agreed with, with what I said. And I wasn't trying to be super harsh on the team, but mm -hmm. I, I was I was like, hey, this is a Buffalo Bills team that for the last year or so. I feel like everyone kind of handpicked them, so they got kind of a pass for some blemishes. And like, let's let's talk about this because I think things could be a lot better. Um, so hopefully, there's no bad blood if anyone in in the building read read that because uh, I'm still a Bills fan. <laughs> I'd still love to be, you know, do anything with the team. But uh, yeah, this was just me kind of as a Bills fan firing from the hip. I think there's a lot of good stuff in here and we're going to, and, and again, I think what you pointed out there is really important. Like the whole point of this was after a, another playoff loss, like a disappointing season end, like some, some good points to kind of talk about uh, before we start off on this, Ryan, of course we are T minus five days from our return to wing nuts. Every month we are doing a show with at, at wing nuts, a live show, come out, you eat some wings. They're the best in town. Bill's rookies uh, went there a couple days ago. We're absolutely blown away. Dorian Williams tweeted out uh, that Buff nobody's got anything on Buffalo chicken wings, and his first experience was at Wing Nuts, the official chicken wing of Shout a Buffalo Bills football podcast. You'll get great beers, great wings, Bill's talk with Ryan and I. It's going to be a great time, Ryan. Yeah, looking forward to Saturday night. Always a great time at Wing Nuts. Always a great crowd. So, uh, Bills Mafia, come before the show, hang out with Matt and myself. Come uh, after, obviously, stick around. And we'll we'll chat you up, and uh, we we always enjoy interacting with the Bills fans. All right. So, for those who haven't read the th the thread, I have it up on the uh, on the screen here. Uh, this will be in audio format. So, I'm going to read through this these first three tweets, and then we'll get into the conversation. Yesterday, I said that Josh Allen covers up a lot of bad for the Bills, and people were quick to say he's not without blame. And obviously, no QB is when their team loses that way, but I don't think people fully realize how much he has covered up for people in that building. Sean McDermott likely isn't going to go anywhere, but for someone whose top qualities are leadership and defensive prowess, he always seems to get outcoached in the big games and the defense always seems to be the ones crumbling. The last four playoff exits blew a multiple score, second half lead blown out by KC 13 second kickoff. And yesterday the Bengals game, the defense can bully bad teams in the regular season, but can't stop a good offense when they have to. When they have to, at this point, it's a trend and an excusable one at that. And so that's where I wanted to start. Where's your confidence meter at heading into the season with Sean McDermott, knowing all of those immediate aftermath thoughts that you had, um, and then also keep it in perspective the success that he's had over the last seven seasons uh, or six seasons, I should say, since he took over in 17. Um, it depends on what we're talking about. Like if we're talking about the regular season, my confidence meter is at a 10. Sean McDermott has shown us that in the regular season, he can be a great head coach. He can get the bills to places that five years ago, like Ryan and I were joking when he used to come on their show back in the day, this was rookie year, Josh Allen and earlier, like at that point in time, winning the division back to back to back years would seem like a pipe dream. And there's there are moments where I have to kind of take a step back and be like, enjoy what this team is right now, because remember what mm -hmm. it was for so long. So in that regard, I, I have a lot of faith in, in McDermott for the regular season. He doesn't. I know there's a handful of games like two years ago, the Jacksonville game. But for the most part, the Bills beat the teams that they are supposed to beat. 
And the teams that are at their level in the regular season, he has performed very well against. Like, they beat the Chiefs the last two seasons in the regular season. Then when we get to the playoffs, I don't know what happens. It's like he coaches scared or something. I, I don't know, but for some reason in the playoffs, I, I think a big part of it is you're much more evenly matched in the playoffs. Like the Bengals are an insanely tough team, the Chiefs, and they're both well-coached organizations. So I think when he's facing someone at his level, I, I don't know if it's he overthinks it or what it is. I, I guess if we're being timely right now, the different sport, but like the comparison I would make is like Doc Rivers. Like that's who he is in jeopardy of becoming a great regular season head coach, someone who can get you, you know, to to the playoffs and maybe even win a game or two in the playoffs. But after that, when you're facing the top of the top, I I have trouble saying the confidence meter is very high right now in McDermott in those instances. And that's more than fair. Like you said, you pointed out the amount of points, the yards that they've given up in the playoffs. After the season was over, uh, we really don't know the, everything that happened with Leslie Frazier. We just kind of found out he's stepping away for a year is, is what we were told. And uh, Sean McDermott's taking over the play calling duties. So first and foremost, did, did the Leslie Frazier development stepping away say anything to you about maybe uh, the self-scouting uh, for this defense and, and the issues that they've had in the past? Is it something where now McDermott really, it, it's really on him because he can't say, well, it was Leslie calling the plays. I have the utmost confidence in him. He's calling the plays now this season. Uh, and are you expecting anything different from him than maybe what we've seen from this defense in the past? The, the Leslie Frazier stuff was really, really strange. And uh, I, you said, like, we don't really know the full story there. Part of me thinks maybe Frazier just wanted a year off or maybe there's something behind the scenes we don't know. The more cynical part of me thinks that, like, McDermott was told like, "Hey, this is your make or break it year," and maybe he's being like, "All right, if it's if this is it, and I need to get the job done now, I'm gonna go down on my own terms." Um, and I don't think Leslie Frazier is without blame either. Like he gets all the praise uh, for the regular season, and one thing that I put in this thread is that like the Bills' defense does a great job of bullying bad teams. Like when. They're playing lesser competition. You can expect them to get turnovers and get sacks, pressure on the quarterback, all of that. But uh, where I think he struggled pretty badly the last couple of years is adjustments in the playoffs. Not just like in-game adjustments, but just uh, adjusting to the teams that you're playing. Like, uh, and I know it's all because of Tyreek Hill and that long touchdown he had, but like in that 13-second uh, Chiefs game, the, the, the Bills defenders are lining up 10 11 yards away from the Chiefs receivers and that's an instance where like you you want to in my opinion I think you'd want to play a little bit closer and try to make them make a quick decision I I, I am it's going to be interesting to see what this defense is going to look like without uh Leslie Frazier there and with it all on on McDermott I'm expecting them to be a little bit more aggressive um but he has no more excuses now, right? Like, if this defense fails and they fail in a big moment like they have each of the last four seasons, uh, I, I think then we're going to firmly point the finger at McDermott. And it, again, would not – it's kind of unfair because in my lifetime, he's been the best head coach for them by far. But if they fail again this year and don't get, you know, at least to the AFC Championship game, I think there is a possibility that this is his final year as the Bills head coach. 
Wow. I mean, I think there's a lot to unpack there. I want to go back to what you were talking about with the, the Doc Rivers comparison, because I think it's a really good one. I actually, I can't remember what it was about, but I recently went and looked at um, Mike Tomlin's career record, and it's almost percentage-wise, regular season, playoffs, win win percentage. It's it's identical to McDermott's. Like, And they're trending to be almost exact, like the same winning percentage over the course of his career if he continues on this track. The one difference is, of course, Tomlin had that Super Bowl in his third season, second or third season. Um, Andy Reed, who was Sean McDermott's kind of mentor was run out of Philly after years and years and years of the same thing that you're talking about, like failures in the playoffs. My question to you is, okay, they get to the other side of this thing. Let's hypothetically say there's another playoff failure, right? And they, they move on from Sean McDermott. Is that from a fan's perspective, worrisome because they got to nail the next coach knowing that they didn't nail the couple before um, him, uh, at least one, Ryan, you could probably call this better. Did the Pagulas hire, um, was it Jerron before Rex Ryan? I don't believe that they were here. No, they were not here for Jerron. No, so Jerron Rex was Ryan was their first head Rex coach hire. Rex was their first. Um, yep. And, and then it kind of went from there. So yes, Rex was okay. the premier. Okay. Hire. So I guess like, do you think if they move on from McDermott, the grass is greener on the other side, I guess is my question. Not a guarantee, no, but I I think when you have someone like Josh Allen, and look, I get told on a lot of my shows that I'm a homer because Josh Allen is, one, he's my favorite football player, but two, not only do I think he is the second best quarterback on the planet, I think that he is asked to do more for his football team than any player in the NFL is. Um, But when you have a talent as dynamic and explosive as Josh Allen We've seen that that window can last a long time. And, like, if you ask a Chiefs fan right now, they're probably going to tell you their window is until Patrick Mahomes retires. And that makes sense. But we've also seen these windows slam shut. We've seen quarterbacks get hurt. Or uh, the Bills are are heading to this weird time where a lot it happens a lot with franchise quarterbacks where you have to rebuild the entire roster while having your franchise quarterback under contract, under a big contract. Uh, we, we've seen many teams have to kind of go that route. Like the Packers struggled for years to build a competent roster around Aaron Rodgers. Um, so I don't think you can ever take it for granted and, and you can't waste it. And, and my, like, if the Bills were doing, having this sort of success based on the defense and they didn't have Josh Allen, they just had like a pretty good quarterback. Yeah, then I think, okay, we, we ride out with Sean McDermott. We don't want to risk this getting worse. But when you have Josh Allen... In this landscape that is the NFL today, I think you need to have a more offensive mindset. So while advocating potential, like, yes, it is risky. I I get it. But I think it's a risk that you kind of have to roll the dice on. I'm cool giving McDermott another year, especially because last year, um, I I don't think the Bills got a fair shake. And we could talk more about that later. But uh, and, and I'm very optimistic for this upcoming season. But if things don't work out again this year, I think you kind of have to be like, we need to roll the dice and see if we could bring in an offensive mind um, and, and see if we could get this to the next level. Because, y- look, you guys live in Buffalo. I- I'm in L.A. now. You guys know better than me. That city is starved for a championship, and, and they deserve they- the fans deserve one. And I think Josh Allen is the quarterback to bring it to them. I just don't know if the other pieces around him are, are right yet. 
Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of pieces around him being right, uh, the next part of your thread here, Brandon Bean gets such high regard for finding Josh Allen, but that 2018 class was the last of his that had any Pro Bowl players. So much capital has been wasted on undersized defensive linemen who can't generate pressure against a backup offensive line like we saw in the in the Bengals game. Mm. They drafted a corner in the first and were too scared to use him for most of the year despite the secondary issues. We've covered that in great detail over this offseason. The big addition to the offense uh, was pass-catching running backs only to never throw the ball to the running backs. The O-line got ignored despite uh, clear issues. And the frustrating part, it's like there was no real plan. The game plan didn't fit the personnel at all. The Bills receiver room had two receivers who couldn't win outside or downfield and a bunch of slot guys and then operated on an offense built around the deep ball, right? So that, you know, that and your previous tweet that you said about Josh Allen having to do too much. This year, what does the draft hall tell you about what Brandon Bean has done in the past? And maybe perhaps, you know, the, the lessons that he's learned from those draft classes and the direction he went this year. First, if you can't feel the frustrated Bills fan coming out of me when you're reading, the, <laughs> even me re- hearing you read it back, I'm like, yeah, I was a little harsh on them, but uh, it, it was because of, of how frustrated I was after that game. I am a fan of what they did uh, in this offseason. They... They kept the defense together for the most part outside of Trey, Trey Edmonds, who we knew was going to leave. I was anticipating Poyer leaving as well. I did not expect him to be back. Um, I, I liked a lot of the additions they did there. But then in the draft, to use uh, the first pick on Dalton Kincaid, um, I was hoping for a wide receiver. I know they're saying he's going to be used as a receiver and they're going to use more 12 and use him as like the Cole Beasley. All of that excites me because... Last year, the Bills had the lowest percent of yards after the catch by far in the NFL. So they they didn't have a playmaker who could do anything after the catch. And um, I, I talk here about you know how they had two wide receivers who could win out wide, and that was Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis hurts his ankle. Gabe Davis doesn't look like himself the whole season pretty much. But even beyond that, Gabe Davis to me – is someone that I, I would like so much more as like a wide receiver three that could be like a luxury rather than someone you have to depend on. His hands are very questionable. Like he'll make amazing plays, but then he'll make just as many frustrating plays that you're like, if this guy caught it, this game is different. Bengals game included. Um, and, and what we saw down the stretch last year was teams were willing to throw two, sometimes three defenders in Stefan Diggs way and one thing that I was very vocal about last year was that the Bills would then just go away from Stephon Diggs. And I'm like, don't do not do that. Like, then you are willingly doing what the defense wants you to do. You're taking away Stephon Diggs, and they're saying no one else here can beat us. And mm-hmm. really, they were right. Like, who who was winning for the Bills outside of Stephon Diggs? Sometimes Gabe Davis. You had a bunch of slot receivers who – slot receivers are supposed to win after the catch, and they couldn't. Um, so I think Dalton Kincaid, if used properly, could be a great weapon. Look, I'm not going to say he's going to be the next Travis Kelsey. I know a lot of people are saying that, but uh, like I comped him to to Dallas Goddard before the draft, and and I think that's a great addition for the Bills offense that needs a little bit of a of a makeover and needs a short target that could win after the catch and kind of open things up more downfield uh, for the bill for Josh Allen and the bills. And then the second round pick on, on uh, Osiris, like I thought he was going to be a first round pick 
So when he fell to the second, I, I thought that was great value. He's already getting hyped up from rookie minicamp. I expect him to start this year to be a huge blocker uh, to, that can help the run game. I like, too, that they win out and they actually... We always hear that they want Josh Allen to run less. But then last year, their backfield was Devin Singletary, James Cook, and Naheem Hines. Where's your power runner going to come from there? Mm-hmm. It had to be Josh Allen. Now you have Damian Harris. And to back him up, there's Latavius Murray. So I, I think they the Bills are finally putting the pieces in play to be like, hey, we need to have more around Josh Allen than, than just than just Stephon Diggs. And we were asking too much of him last season. So I am encouraged. I, I really like what they did this offseason, although their their offense is going to have to be very different because they had the second fewest two tight end sets last year. So naturally just think there were, there's going to be a change there after they took Kincaid. Well, Brandon Bean would like you to call it uh, the personnel package 11 and a half, uh, Michael, <laughs> uh, because Dalton Kincaid That's will cool be a wide me. receiver and a tight end. Um, no, uh, let me read these next three uh, parts of the thread, and then I want to get into something that I actually heard this week that I think is a really interesting conversation that the three of us can have. There was no quick pass aspect to this offense all year, which you talked about. Slot wide receiver role vanished. Allen was expected to scramble to avoid pressure and find someone deep, which is even harder when your best deep threat is questionable hands and routinely drops well-placed like ones. The Bills hired a first-year play caller in the most offensive-driven era in NFL history in their championship window despite not having won a Super Bowl in over 30 years. Just short-sighted moves that never seemed to gel with any sort of actual plan. There was never any situational football with this team. Yesterday, maybe the biggest play of the day, third and two, they throw 40 yards down the field, then punted. It largely felt like Dorsey would pick a play at random, and not just yesterday, this was all year long. They can out-talent teams in the regular season, and Josh Allen is a unicorn who can play hero ball and save the day most of the time. But if he has an off game, this team has no shot of being an actual good team. This roster is very flawed, and now it's aging with little cap. So shout-out to Tyler Dunn, who uh, does a great job over at golongtd.com. He had on um, Isaiah McKenzie, uh, who's now with the Colts, on his podcast this week. And it was an excellent conversation. The fans got to ask some questions. And one thing that came up was a really good, like, blunt question. Do players like Ken Dorsey? And the feedback coming back is everybody loves Ken Dorsey. But what's the one thing that the the constant – storyline coming out of training camp last year ken dorsey is this dog this aggressive competitor and we saw that play out in a lot of ways during the season like they were throwing the long ball like over and over again and i think part of that is the aggressive nature of ken dorsey in general so i think to your point yes there there was some growing pains with dorsey in place and and mckenzie said like he was often used as like a decoy like they'd send him down the field try to take attention away from gabe and when it wasn't working he wasn't he didn't feel like he was involved in the offense they forgot a lot of that stuff like that short part of the field like he's a gunslinger mindset and so he put the offense in those kinds of uh, situations and they forgot what you know that cole beasley role meant to the offense this is really good stuff from isaiah mckenzie um how much, though, like with Dorsey looking into year two, could this reset help them? Obviously, they went out and got different flavors of players. Deontay Hardy is a little bit different than Isaiah McKenzie. Sherfield brings a dynamic, and then obviously Kincaid. How much do you think that that year one to year two reset, evaluating what wrong, went, went wrong and, and, and prioritizing that short and intermediate area could kind of unlock things for all parties? 
I, I think it could go a long way. Um, I know I came off kind of harshly on Dorsey there, and I, I was a fan of the move when they hired him solely because it's what Josh Allen wanted. And my mm-hmm. viewpoint is, like, when you have a franchise quarterback, you make him happy. And if he was supporting for, for Ken Dorsey, cool. But when Dorsey took over, I expected it to look a lot how it did under Brian Dable. And I continue to think maybe the Bills let the wrong coach leave uh, a year ago because with Brian Dable, like, he was able to, like, the thing that we give the most credit for with Brian Dable is that he was able to reel Josh Allen back a little bit. Like, Josh Allen wants to win so badly and is so competitive that sometimes, like, he will, and he has the utmost confidence in his arm, which why wouldn't you if you have an arm like that? But sometimes... He forces throws that he probably shouldn't be making. And, and early in his career, like the hero Josh was the thing that we were like, if that can get reeled in a little bit and he can learn to pick his spots when and when not to do that, this guy's going to be unstoppable. And that's what happened uh, the final year with Brian Dable. Like that's why Josh Allen was an MVP candidate. Uh, that's why he had him 13 seconds away from beating the Chiefs and being in the AFC Championship game with the best playoff run that I think I've ever seen a quarterback put up. But you talk about how aggressive Dorsey wants to be. I think he fed into that bad habits of Josh Allen. Like uh, third and two, we're throwing a 40-yard pass. Yeah, I know Josh Allen wants to throw a 40-yard pass there. But as the coach and play caller, it's your job to be like, hey, we need to play situational football. I'm cool with you throwing that 40-yard pass. If the idea is we're going for it on fourth down and we have a play that we trust or we're going to let Allen run, something like that. But if it's... We're going to throw a 40-yard pass, and if it's not caught, we're going to punt. What are we doing? Like, that is terrible situational football. Um, so, yeah, I, I do want – I think the personnel is better this year because last season um, it was really thin, and I think they did a good job. Like, Deontay Hardy is someone on a per-route basis in his career who's been up there with some of the elite wide receivers, and Sherfield is another guy uh, that gets a lot of credit for wherever he's played. He's always been a very useful – like role player um so i do think the bills did a really nice job in that regard but dorsey needs to look back at last season and not only see some philosophy changes that he needs to make because i agree that that cole beasley role needs to be there like not only did that help get the ball out of allen's hands quicker but it also helped open stuff up down the field because if you have to be worried about the slot receiver catching almost 100 passes which is what cole beasley was doing yearly it just helps open up so much. You can't put two, three defenders every single play on Stephon Diggs. Um, and the thing that stood out to me with Ken Dorsey, uh, and, and that Josh Allen, I think, got entirely too much hatred for this last year, the red zone turnovers um, from 2018 through 2021, so four seasons, Josh Allen threw a red, uh, a red zone interception on 1% of his passes that went up to 5% last season. So to me, what changed? The play caller. Like, to me, that's much more on Ken Dorsey and the type of offense they were running in the red zone than it was on Josh Allen. Yes, did I think Allen forced it at times and made some bad decisions? Of course, he's not without blame. But I don't think you go from being what I was calling the best red zone quarterback in the league to one of the worst overnight. Like, something changed, and it was the play caller, in my opinion. Yeah, and there were even some plays you'd look back at and you'd see two players in the same spot or going in the same areas, and it just didn't make sense logistically. But staying on the Dorsey conversation, obviously the play calling from Brian Dable to to Ken Dorsey was different, but 
I felt like Dable was really good at reeling Allen in emotionally as well. And when he did something that was a boneheaded play, Dable would be there and would be talking him through it. There were times where he chewed him out, especially early on in his career on, on the bench. And we saw him do that with Daniel Jones last year. How difficult is it for a guy like Dorsey to, to have that conversation with Allen when he's up in the press box like he was one year ago and he can't be there right next to him saying, hey, you know, you made the wrong read or here's what you did. Is that something where maybe we could also see a philosophy change from Dorsey in terms of where he calls the plays this year? What is up, everybody? This is Matt Prino from Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast, here to talk to you about Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. Prize Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player staff projections and watch the winnings roll in. Football season may be over, but the action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's tournament season or the fight for playoff home court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. You can now win up to 100 times your money on Prize Picks with as little as four correct picks. You could turn $10 into $1,000 with NBA, NHL, and college basketball entries today on Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app. Download the app today and use code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the app today and use the code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. I think potentially I, I am okay with him being up in the booth because it allows him to kind of see like all 22 and everything. So to me that I, I've never even really considered that. And, and maybe that is a, a big deal that needs to change. And if so, hopefully the brat, the bills brass knows that I, I also think it's kind of, it's different when you're like Brian Dable and you're like, Hey, I've been with you and and kind of like, we've done this. We've been on this ride together then when Ken Dorsey comes in and he's like, hey, you're the franchise quarterback, the MVP candidate, the Super Bowl favorite for a reason, the MVP favorite. Like, Josh Allen was all of that last year coming into the season. And, like, for a first-year play caller, I think it's, especially early on, like, you're not going to feel comfortable probably chewing him out like Brian Dable did. So I'm hoping that maybe having that year to work together um, and, and, you know, the ups and the downs, hopefully they learn from it. I'm okay with giving Dorsey another year, but I think if it doesn't work out this year, we should like the Bills need to strongly consider bringing in a proven offensive mind, whichever one is available next season. The the most interesting dynamic of the the Dable to Dorsey shift for me was that I think you kind of hinted at this a little bit, Michael. Is like Dable like grew Josh from a baby in this league, right? Like, so like that dynamic at the beginning, they had that established. Dable was the power figure of the relationship and like really molded him in a lot of ways. Whereas Ken was like, you know, his brother, right? Like the quarterback's coach in the room, like they were having a, you know, really competitive dudes. And like, you'd see him kind of, you know, vibing on the sidelines at times. And then that, that kind of shifted last year. And we even saw like, 
early in the season when Ken went viral with his like absolute meltdown in the press box after not making it like having it go this way in Miami, like that it's almost like he's trying to learn the job of offensive coordinator. He's now got a quarterback who is the guy in the NFL. And if he's not the guy, he's like one B, right? Like, of course it's Mahomes, And then like the next year, whatever. So it's like all of that. And then on top of that, like you're a first time play caller and you, you laid it out perfectly. The success lack thereof for first year play callers in the NFL. It's almost like they just, they were working with a lot of different dynamics that I think won't necessarily be the case. They could do a lot of self-scouting this year to figure out a, a different path forward and to put everybody in a spot to be successful. Yeah, and I, I think one thing that is starting I was starting to think about as you guys were talking is you talk about like how competitive Ken Dorsey is and how aggressive he is. And we had already talked about like how a big part with Josh Allen is dialing it back a little bit and having him play even keeled. Well, if your offensive coordinator isn't that way and your star wide receiver, I love Stephon Diggs, but he is anything but even keeled. Um, mm. If there's that much emotion and, and fire up like all around Josh Allen, like, yes, I understand the quarterback is supposed to be the leader and, but we know how Josh is. So like, to me, I would like to see the OC. Maybe this is something that Dorsey's working on this offseason and we'll see better next year. But I think his he should be, hey, Josh, dial it down a little bit. You are, like you said, the the 1B in this league. And, and there's when you're on your game, no one can touch you. Like, that should be what is going in his ear. Not, hey, let's throw 40 yards every single play. And, and <laughs> third and two, let's try to see if we could throw 40 yards here. And to me, a big thing of that, of that playoff game was I don't know why Lou uh, Anarumo is, is still a defensive coordinator and doesn't have a, a head coaching job. Mm. He shut down the Bills. He's figured out how to shut down the Chiefs. Like this guy is who you want going up against the top quarterbacks. But my oh my, was it a like running circles around moment? Like I felt like he just ran circles all over Ken Dorsey in that playoff game, and that needs to change. Yeah, so one other question on the personnel. We talked about it. Brandon Bean goes out and he drafts James Cook in round two. Trade deadline to bring in Naheem Hines, and it wasn't just for the kick return, punt return aspect. It was another pass-catching weapon. And it just never went to these guys. They never utilized them. So, one, is this something that you're expecting to change from year one to year two? And if it doesn't change, where was the disconnect? Because I can't imagine Brandon Bean going out and acquiring one player at the deadline, drafting one player in round two, without him almost not having the blessing of Ken Dorsey, but having Ken Dorsey kind of tell him, yeah, these are guys that I can utilize. Yeah, I, I wouldn't imagine that like that was a conversation that was had where Dorsey was like, hey, we need a better pass catching. Because, yeah, like you said, James Cook was known as more of a receiving back than a uh, running back in college, and Naheem Hines is a pass-catching specialist. Um, part of me thinks that the conversation was like, hey, Josh, you don't have to run as much because when you roll out, you could dump it off to the running back here. But that just wasn't what the game plan was. It never really translated to the field because what I love about Josh Allen is when he's scrambling with his legs, he's keeping his eyes 30, 40 yards downfield to see if someone got open and and because we know him on the run is, is as deadly as anyone, or he's just going to get those that 10 yards himself. Like he's not going to dump it off because he'll hold it to the last second because stuff like that Dawson Knox touchdown in the playoffs a couple years ago, or, or, or any of these crazy throws where he's holding the ball till probably later than he should be holding it and making something out of nothing. So I don't know if it's that 
they need more designed screen passes if they need to kind of drill it into Allen's head more. But I, my thinking was the Bills because even like let's go a step further. They brought in Duke Johnson in the, in the preseason last year. Like mm-hmm. who's a pass catching specialist? Like they were trying so hard it seemed to get someone to fit that job that role, and then it never translated to the field. It was one of those things that did not make sense at all to me. And the other thing. Like, not using your rookies. I understand the rookie wall, and, and it's something that Sean McDermott is probably more vocal than any head coach in the league. And you you had Super Bowl aspirations. I get all that. But, like, why? Why such a refusal to use your rookies even late in the season when you needed them? That's why, like, I, I give a lot of – I do fantasy football and stuff. But that's why I'm a little skeptical about Dalton Kincaid, not in a real-life aspect, but, like, in a fantasy aspect because I'm like – is McDermott going to make him wait nine weeks before he starts to really let him get going? Uh, it, it is something that I I don't fully understand with how they ma- – I, I get early in the season, but like late in the year, you really needed those guys, and I think they could have contributed, and they weren't really given the chance till absolutely like insanely late in the year. I, I think the whole – more talk about the dynamic of everything. Like Sean taking over the defense in the way that he is – is really going to leave Ken Dorsey on more of an island. And you have to believe that, like, some of the conversation this offseason is, okay, especially after trading up again to get Dalton Kincaid, okay, we have to have a plan for this guy. Like, we have to play him. Like, they were answering for Kyrie Elam all the way up until the playoff game. I mean, weekly questions about what's going on with Kyrie Elam. I don't know if Sean McDermott necessarily wants to go through that whole situation again. And it's funny. There was some foreshadowing that Bean had on this whole thing. He said 19, 20, 21. He didn't reach for a cornerback because of this exact outcome that played out last year. He didn't want to be asking or answering questions constantly about a guy that doesn't end up winning the job as a rookie. Like I think, Personally, like there were really good moments for Kyrie Elam last year, enough to where I wanted to see a bigger sample size. But I do think maybe inside that building, there wasn't enough confidence in the player to put him out there. Whether or not, like, we could argue the semantics of Dane Jackson and his ceiling and Elam ceiling. Like, I'm all for playing Elam, but I think from internally, from a defensive perspective, they just they didn't have enough trust in him, especially with the injury stuff, to put him in that position. But then you know, you see, you look around the league and the way that first rounders are impacting teams. And I agree, like we've, we've talked about this ad nauseum. They have to find a way to make Dalton Kincaid an impact player. And also, this is a good question, maybe a transition here. What does that mean for Dawson Knox? I think Dawson Knox is, uh, <laughs> he's going to be playing that number two tight end role a lot, I think. I, I don't think he's suddenly uh, going to be like, a big blocker or anything like that, because I am hopeful that they're telling the truth with Kincaid. We're going to line him up in the slot a lot, use him like Cole Beasley. And then Knox could be your traditional inline tight end. But like, I think the days of Dawson Knox being like the second or third option in this passing game are are long gone. And uh, I, I think that's the role he belongs in. Like Knox is a good talent, but if he is someone who's, and I believe last season he had the third most targets on the team. I don't know if I love that for him. I, I think he's uh better suited to be like a red zone threat for them. Um, he clearly has issues winning after the catch. So for me, I, I think Dalton Kincaid from year one should lead this, this tight end room in targets. I think the upside is just that much higher with him. But it, it is a good problem to have to have 
most teams don't even have one tight end they feel comfortable throwing the ball to. So to have two of them and, and to be able to mix up, I, I think that was another thing with the Bills last year is they became very predictable. Like um, three wide receiver sets more often than not, and, and it was largely going to be the same three receivers with not really moving them on the field at all. And that's why I wanted a receiver. Like I thought maybe like, you know, any of the top four would have been great to get, but because especially all but Quentin Johnson could line up all over the field in the slot as well. Like part of me wants them to use Stefan Diggs more how other teams use their wide receiver ones. Like Tyreek Hill and Justin Jefferson are lining up for third, if not more of their snaps in the slot. Like let's make life easy on Stefan Diggs at times, especially during those stretches where it, late in the season last year, he would disappear for games and it wasn't mm-hmm. his fault. Like they, they, they were just like, Hey, they're putting extra man coverage on him. We're going to go elsewhere. Why not try to get creative, put him in the slot at times, move him like all over the field, do some receiver screens. Like to me, there was, there was no creativity with this bills offense. And that is uh, concerning because in today's day and age, the Chiefs are dominating, and they are the most creative offense in football. The Bengals do a lot of creative stuff. The Eagles. So to to have such a one-dimensional offense last year, and, and like I said in the thread, it was Josh Allen either has to beat you deep or he's going to scramble and try to beat you deep. Like it, it became way too predictable and way too easy to stop, and that's why there was such long periods uh, where they wouldn't score points in games because it was Josh Allen has to do something amazing to beat you or – like we're just going to end up punting the ball. So as a follow-up to, you know, Josh Allen having to do too much, we've mentioned some of the receivers they brought in Hardy and Shearfield, And obviously you have year two of Khalil Shakir. Are there enough weapons at wide receiver behind Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis to, to believe that they can one, make an impact on this team uh, and two, you know, kind of close the gap on the Chiefs and the Bengals and, and what's just becoming a powerhouse AFC conference. I feel better about it than last year, but I mean, I'd be lying if I like look at the other top teams like, OK, the Chiefs are, are a little bit weird, but when you have Kelsey and Mahomes, it's a little bit easier to get by. But like the Bengals, like people, everyone, like the new conversation now is that Joe Burrow is better than Josh Allen. I strongly disagree. I'm like, he's throwing to two other worldly wide receivers. Um, the Eagles did that with, with their two receivers. Like a lot of the top teams are adding more and more pass catchers around them. Uh, so I feel better than I did a year ago about that wide receiver room. But I can't say with confidence that I think they, they've done enough. I, I think there's still a way they could go out and do enough. Uh, in the form of DeAndre Hopkins, like I want this guy to be a bill two months ago when he posted the Buffalo soldier meme on, on his Instagram. I was like, that's it. He's a bill. He's working out with Von Miller. He's randomly talking. Like, I don't know if you guys saw this. He did an interview with uh, the fantasy guys at CBS sports and they were like, you could be traded. And he was like, you know, I love Josh Allen. I love Stefan Diggs. I, I love everything they're doing in Buffalo right now. And he just spends like the minute answer he gave talking up the bills. Like clearly this is a guy that wants to be in Buffalo. Go get him. I understand he's almost 30 and he costs a lot of money and stuff. Championship windows don't last forever, especially in the NFL. It can all go away tomorrow. Strike now while, while you have your chances, my opinion. Yeah, things like go bad. I mean, by, by the time training camp gets here, I mean, if they're, if Kyler Murray has a little bit of runway to get back and he's playing with, you know, whoever at quarterback, 
I can't imagine that it's not going to get real hot real quick there. And the one cool thing, if you're Brandon Bean now, is you do have some capital in next year's draft. You you made a couple trades to get to get some day three picks next year. You can get a little bit frisky. And to your point, like he's he, I feel like he's so adamant about you're never one player away or never one move away until it's like within range and it makes sense and the numbers work out. And then it's like, just do it because I feel like that's how the Von Miller deal kind of materialized. Anyway, do you think like offensively, like fundamentally this thing completely changes with Deandre Hopkins and do you have trust in Ken Dorsey to figure out the target? My biggest hesitation on the Hopkins edition is you have a very volatile player in Stefan Diggs from a competitive standpoint. Like what happens if he somehow becomes like a one B in that scenario to Hopkins? Does that sit right with him? It's why he wanted out of Minnesota, right? Like, cause it was, what's his name? Uh, Adam Thielen. Thielen. They viewed as the number one. Yeah, I, I do. I think Stefan Diggs is at a very different point in his career now than he was then. Uh, back then he had like a thousand yard season and that was kind of it. And he was playing the second fiddle role and he's come here. He's proven to be one of the best wide receivers of his generation. And, DeAndre Hopkins is, look, he's still very good, but he's not what he was two, three years ago. So I do think that there's a situation where this could work, especially if you tell Stephon Diggs, like, hey, remember last year, all those stretches where we couldn't get you the ball because there was the defense was like throwing two, three defenders your way? You're going to get single coverage every single game now because the guy on the opposite side of you is just as good. Um, to me... I, and you have Josh Allen throwing them the ball. Like, yeah, it, it's not Case Keenum where they're going to struggle to get 2,000-yard receivers. Like, you could tell me that both of those guys would go for 1,300, and I would believe it because I, I think that uh, in this offense, with that quarterback, it would just be so hard to stop. And then anything you get out of Dalton Kincaid, Gabe Davis, uh, the rest of the receivers is a luxury on top of that. Plus... We've been very fortunate that Stephon Diggs has been insanely durable. If Stephon Diggs rolls an ankle or something like that, because football is still a very violent game, I, I, do you, like then this wide receiving core, for lack of a better word, would suck. Like I, Gabe <laughs> Davis is not a true number one. Uh, you wouldn't have anyone who's a true number two there. So it's extremely thin. I, I think there's depth, but... That high-end talent isn't there outside of Stephon Diggs. So I think a team like the Bills make a ton of sense to go out and get another big-name receiver. And then you could tell Stephon Diggs, like, hey, this guy's older than you. He's going to fade a year or two before you. Plus, you've been here already. So if we win a Super Bowl, like, you're the guy that's going to get the credit. And you were the star that came here and changed things. But, I mean, I know Kincaid, first overall, first-round pick, I, I like that. But Stephon Diggs was now three over three years ago that that trade happened. And what big move have they made on offense since then? Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. No, they, they've avoided it. They've, they've gone heavy on defense and drafts. They, they've added premier players and free agency like the Von Miller. And, and I'm glad you also said, you know, not just Hopkins, because I, I saw that interview and anything short of pulling out a chicken wing. I mean, he was pretty much saying he wanted to come to <laughs> Buffalo. But <laughs> – any, you know, you said an elite pass catcher it doesn't have to be Hopkins. And the good thing with the Bills and going back to what you were talking about, Matt, is the draft capital that they have. And maybe the biggest piece of draft capital they have is that extra third round pick that they have in their back pocket because they know Jermaine Edmonds is going to get them that comp pick and it's going to probably be that third round pick. 
So now you have something to play with there on that trade deadline. And you'd love to have someone in from week one, like you said. You don't know when a player's going to go down with an injury. But at the trade deadline, I, I would really be stunned if the Bills weren't a buyer for a final piece, so to speak, because of that third-round pick. So I'm not going to put you on the spot and say, who are some targets or anything like that? But um, is it realistic that you could see the Bills then being a buyer at the deadline like this is the year that even though Brandon Bean says we're not going to do it we're going all in at this point a la the Rams a few years ago when they made all their moves uh is this something you envision maybe Brandon Bean finally doing this year I don't I don't think he's gonna do a move where like he gives up a first round pick that's why I think D-Hop is a perfect candidate because I'm like what would it cost a third round pick to get him we're getting a comp third from Trey Edmonds anyway like there you go um but yeah, I, I the thing the issue is, while I could see Bean wanting to do that, there needs to be another team. And we, while we've seen more in-season trades as of late, and I think it's awesome, we don't tend to see star wide receivers traded in season. At least not ones that like can make a huge immediate impact. Which part of me is like, why weren't they in on Calvin Ridley last year? Uh, like he would have been a great number two right now with Stephon Diggs, but. It's something I I would hope for, um, but it's just like it's something that I don't think we see a whole lot of. And and going back to your last question, if you have to convince Stephon Diggs, just be like, okay, which team with two stud wide receivers do you want to use? The the Bengals, the Eagles, uh, the the Seahawks, the, the, like all of these teams have two great wide receivers, and they all put up numbers. Like it, it, the Dolphins, you you see it firsthand in our own division. Like like. It can be done, and it's been proven to work. And I think it's the way the NFL is kind of trending. Um, so, yeah, I do think the Bills need another pass catcher, and I think it will be easier to obtain before the season starts. Michael, this was so awesome. Um, thank you so much for spending um, all this time, almost 50 minutes with us. I want to give you a little time here at the end. Let everybody know where they can find you. Uh, obviously, the Twitter handle there, Michael F. Florio, uh, but what, where they can find you uh, on a weekly basis to follow your coverage. Yeah, uh, Twitter's the best place right now, uh, at Michael F. Florio, but you could catch me doing a weekly podcast for the NFL Fantasy Football Show. Uh, got some other content there at NFL.com. I also have my own podcast called Florio's Football Show, uh, and then I get some written content coming out there. That's all for Rotoballer. And then on Sundays, if you want more for some reason, uh, every Sunday <laughs> I host a show on SiriusXM with Scott the King Engel, so Rotoballer Radio Serious XM Fantasy from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. But real quick, I, I don't want to be the doom and gloom guy because I, I saw some <laughs> tweets where people are like, I can't wait for him to ruin my optimism. I am optimistic again because, one, the Bills didn't have their entire defense for a single snap last year. I think that's going to change this year. Two, um, I had this realization after the season, and I actually, uh, Stevie Johnson was a guest on my podcast a couple weeks ago, and I got to talk to him about this. I was like, listen, the Bills' first Super Bowl is never going to come in a year where they are the hand-picked favorites and they're just going to cruise to victory and win a Super Bowl. But now everyone is counting them out and saying that Allen is overrated and, and the championship window is closed. This is the kind of year the Bills will win a Super Bowl, I think. Um, but also, like you look back at last season, outside of the, the Bengals' loss and the Jets' loss, those were the two games they really lost all year. The Vikings was an insanely weird game that I don't think happens again if you replay it and the Dolphins game was obviously very weather related so I I have to remain optimistic about a team that had two dud performances out of 19 last year so uh the optimism is back and and go Bills
I think that is a, a really good point. I don't think there's anybody in the NFL that's more giddy right now than Sean McDermott thumbing through Buffalo Bills uh, Google searches, seeing all these different headlines about Aaron Rodgers and, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals. Like, he needs that chip. Like, I, I felt like at times they were – he had his hands up last year with, like, this is not our – the vibe that we've had so much success with over the over the years. Like, being the – the hunted all of a sudden, you know, changes. And, and it almost like you mentioned in your thread, like how do you come out at the end of the thread? You, you shared a Kyle Brandt video and it's like, how do you come out in a game like this and not have any juice, not have the energy. And it's like, I wonder if just a season of being the hunted and like going on that win streak and finding a way and finding a way it, they just ran out of it at the end. And, and they played like that. And I think going into this season and, kind of like rebuffing that, um, you know, nobody believes in us. Like, you know, we got to earn everything we're going to get. Like he's probably just frothing at the mouth in, in these meetings. <laughs> yeah. And all the stuff off the field that they had to deal with leading up to that game. Cause I, this team maybe had to deal with more off the field stuff than any team in recent history that, that I could think of uh, that, that takes its toll on you. But yeah, I agree. I think one, the bills feel more comfortable in that, that space is like, you know, we're the underdogs and everyone's counting us out. And I know Bills fans feel much more comfortable there. Last season wasn't even like a 13 and, and uh, or 14 and three season should, or 13 and three. I'm sorry. should be extremely enjoyable. Last season was not that enjoyable because it, mm. when they won, it was like, whoo, okay. They handled their business. And when they didn't play well or they lost, it was like, what is going on here? I kind of missed. Uh, from a couple years before that when like it, it was just like no one was expecting them to do anything and it was just pure like highs and fun but it, it changes when you have a franchise quarterback ryan final thought yeah fi final thought first of all mike thanks for your time awesome awesome guest final thought bills mafia join us saturday night uh wing nuts up in buffalo matt myself good wings good beers good times we'll see you then He's Michael G uh, F. Florio. He's Ryan Talbot. I'm Matt Perino. We will see you next time. Saturday night. Come out. Uh, link is in the bio for more information. Take care, everybody.